Chapter 61, Finkbone's Cause By the time they'd reached Nix's trailer, whoever Jordan had seen was long gone. Nix knocked and checked the doors and the lockbox, but found no sign of a break-in. After they split up, Jordan toward his house and Nix toward the cherries, Nix finally had a moment to sort her jumbled thoughts. On her leisurely stroll, she pondered such topics as demons, Greek gods, Tiago's flawless profile, and even her father. He was dead, apparently. Did she care? The most she could muster was a little regret that her mother would probably take it hard. At least now Mac Wack wouldn't be in her life because he was dead, and not because he was embarrassed of his family. Still, Nix would have liked to have one last conversation with him. Had he suspected Nix might have inherited his dying power, maybe he could have given her some pointers. Nix spent the rest of the afternoon and evening searching out her two insect housemates and walking them back to the pea stump. Mr. and Mrs. Cherry were friendly, but otherwise didn't engage Nix or ask for a decision about Italy. Nix, however, did think of a question she had forgotten to ask at the demon appreciation meeting. Is Mr. Abendroth really in Woods Cross? Mrs. Cherry slid a receipt into her Reader's Digest and looked up from the armchair. I don't know. Before the night of your second reading, I'd heard very little about Mr. Abendroth, despite Lamia having strong emotions associated with the house at the top of the hill. Nix absently felt the bumpy skin along her cheek. So Mr. Cherry just made that up about Alex being in town? Mrs. Cherry tilted her head from side to side. At that point, Obelis was in control of the Ouija board. And the unborn are much more likely to twist the truth than to lie outright, so Mr. Abendroth could very well be nearby. You never sensed any info like where he might be hiding or what he wants from Sarah? Mrs. Cherry set her magazine on the coffee table. If Lamia knows those details, she managed to keep them from me. And I've had next to no contact with Oblis and Achilles. If I were to hazard a guess, I'd say Abendroth has given up a portion of his will. Nix's spine iced over. He's being controlled? It's likely, Mrs. Cherry said. But there are three levels of demonic possession. Influenced, controlled, and bonded. The latter, which Obelis tried to foist upon you, happens when the will of the demon and the host are one. Those are the truly dangerous entities. They are so enmeshed they're nearly impossible to detect with seer stones. The arm of the chair creaked ominously. Nix relocated to the couch cushion. See what stones? Are those the glowing rocks Pillowhead was asking about? I don't understand much about them, as they were a mystery to Lamia, but they are sometimes used by mortals to see into the spirit realm. Since you can enter the spirit realm at will, I don't think you'd benefit from a seer stone. So you were being controlled by Lamia? Nix asked. Not bonded, even after ten years? I loved my husband too much. Nix stared at her. I don't get it. Lamia wanted Patrick dead. If I had given myself over completely to her, she would have killed him, and probably a great many other people. She was big on murdering folks, and incredibly stubborn, as you probably noted on your jog to the Padilla's house. But for some reason, Lamia has grown in power over the last few months. What had previously been a relationship of mutual tolerance had become a constant battle of wills. Nix nodded attentively. She should probably be writing this down. But when Lamia went into Monica, 
From what you described, it sounds like an instant bonding. Even though their wills were certainly nowhere aligned, Mrs. Padilla gave herself completely over to Lamia. She granted permission verbally and spiritually. She actually wanted the spirit to enter her. Only because I was killing her husband. Nix called Jordan immediately afterward and told him everything she'd learned, which was more efficient than writing it down. A notepad you could lose. Jordan typically kept his brain with him at all times. Fawn returned home late and didn't deign to eat with the family. She stayed in her room the rest of the evening and most of Sunday. Not that Nix blamed her. On the last day of the weekend, Nix did nothing but watch TV since it was pretty much the only thing that could make her forget about Tiago's new off-limits status. Also the fact that an ancient evil was hunting her and would stop at nothing to eat her soul. When did her life become a low-budget horror movie? Fawn didn't respond when Nix knocked on her bedroom door that night. Nix could hear her walking around in there. Either Fawn was wearing headphones or didn't care to entertain visitors. Maybe the Cherries had already told her the news about Italy. Had they given Fawn the option to go with them as well? Probably not. What Mr. Cherry thought of Fawn wasn't exactly a mystery. On Monday, Nix paced the school parking lot, waiting for any sign of Jordan's bus or Sergeant Frost's cruiser. A horn blared directly behind her. Nix stumbled out of the way. A fluorescent yellow sports car pulled in, McGuckin at the wheel. What in the world? Was that a recent purchase? He looked like he was driving a marshmallow peep. McGuckin parked on the line between two spaces and unfolded himself onto the asphalt. Nix ducked behind a beat-up Honda. Maybe if she managed to avoid McGuckin all day, he'd forget about her lunch detention. She had too much to discuss with Jordan. When McGuckin was safely on the sidewalk and headed toward the central offices, Nix emerged from her hiding spot. Jordan's bus had pulled up, but before Nix could go find him, she noticed a woman in a nearby car with her hands over her face. Almost without thinking, Nix angled her walk toward the blue sedan. The woman was definitely crying, and now Nix recognized the bun and cat earrings. Why was Mrs. Finkbone sobbing in the parking lot? Common decency urged Nix to let the woman have her privacy. But Nix's curiosity had been piqued. Common decency didn't have a chance. Besides, what if Nix could help with something? Nix made a couple awkward circuits around the car before working up the courage to tap on the glass. Mrs. Finkbone looked up, startled, then rolled down the window. Nix smiled. Sorry to... Are you all right? It was a lame way to start, but Nix didn't have a lot of experience interrupting criers. Normally she just sat back and watched the waterworks. Mrs. Finkbone brushed her cheeks dry. Yes, I'm doing great. Was that sarcasm? Okay, I just wanted to make sure there was nothing I could do. Thank you for your concern. Nick scratched a piece of dried leaf from the door. It's not McGuckin, is it? I don't think he's ever actually fired anyone. I'm sure he won't really be watching to see if you show up ten minutes early all the time. From the look on the teacher's face, Nix knew she'd made a mistake. How did you know about that? Mrs. Finkbone asked. Nick shrugged, but the teacher was still waiting. It's going around school. She had mentioned it to Jordan, after all. Mrs. Finkbone sniffed. At any rate, that's not the reason. I was indisposed, if you must know. Nix waited, staring. She knew it was rude, but her curiosity kept her focus fixed. I know it's none of my business. Mrs. Finkbone opened her door and stepped out. I really ought to be getting to my classroom, but if you'd like to walk with me, I'll explain why I've been a bit unreliable lately. Unreliable? Try the biggest disappointment since the first Harry Potter movie. Mrs. Finkbone loaded Nix up with three bags of pottery clay and started a brisk walk toward the East Building. Nix had to jog to keep up. 
we were kind of wondering why you'd stopped coming to practices. I regretted it as much as anybody, but I couldn't let them die. Some things are more important than play rehearsal, even if they were just cats. Cats? Please no more cats. Nix had endured more than enough feline issues for a lifetime. In answer, the art teacher pulled a newspaper out of the supply box she was carrying and handed it to Nix. The three bags of clay hit the ground with a thump. Isn't it wonderful? Mrs. Finkbone said. I saw the article this morning and finally felt it was safe to hand them over to the shelter. Nix grinned and reread the headline, Cats Declared Safe. Mrs. Finkbone continued walking, but Nix stood in place and savored the story. The town had finally gotten a vet to examine the cats and found them to be in good health. The doctor even found traces of hair removal chemicals that corroborated with the anonymous tip. The article then went on to explain how the mysterious Argus seemed intent on proving his credibility and had provided additional information leading to the recovery of WCHS property. What? That's all there is? Nix grumbled at the newspaper. Then she saw the small script at the bottom. For the full text of Argus email, see story on page two. Let's go, Phoenix, Mrs. Finkbone called from the building entrance. I can't hold this door all day. Nix picked up the clay and resumed her walk. She'd only taken a few steps before she stopped again. A huge picture of the Woods Cross Wolverine took up a quarter of the page. Under it, large letters read, Wendell Found. Mrs. Finkbone let out an exasperated sigh, and Nix forced her legs to walk as she skimmed the article. The police had responded to an anonymous tip. Because the parents cooperated and let them search their son's room, he's getting off with a fine in community service. Farther down the page was a picture of Chuck in his cross-high football uniform. Nix felt lightheaded. They'd done it. The cats weren't going to die. The Wolverine statue would soon be back where it belonged. Argus was a hero. But what did all this have to do with Mrs. Finkbone? Sorry, Nick said when she'd finally made it to the door where the teacher waited. That's really good news about the cats. Mrs. Finkbone followed Nick's inside. You have no idea. I've spent the last two weeks trying to prevent their genocide. I think I've slept an average of four hours the last few nights between collecting them all and taking care of the ones I have. A frozen lump of guilt formed in Nix's abdomen. Had Mrs. Finkbone really abandoned the musical to round up the kitty refugees? Here Nix had been so proud of herself for saving the musical, when it was actually her fault it had gone downhill in the first place. So, how many did you catch? Nix asked in a low voice, even though the hallway was full of banging lockers. Seventeen. Mrs. Finkbone said, as if regretting having to give them away. That's why I was late to class yesterday. They'd run out of chow, and I had to make a trip to the market. You wouldn't believe how much food those cats can go through in a week. Nix managed not to comment. She tucked the newspaper into one of the bags. You didn't happen to see a little gray kitten that still had his fur? He ran away a while back. It was strange to be worried about her pet cat when Nix and Sarah were currently being hunted by demons in various stages of embodiment but she really did miss Toad. I haven't, child, I'm sorry. Nix was surprised to see that Mrs. Finkbone actually did look sorry. The art teacher always seemed kind of cold and distant. Did she genuinely care that Nix's kitten was missing? Maybe being a cat lover wasn't such a bad thing. It made Nix think of her mother, always fawning over the new arrivals and insisting Nix give them their own dish of food until they could hold their own among the kitty gangs. Yeah, Mrs. Wack had lectured her cats all day every day. But was it really that different from Nick's chatting with Toadstool before bed? Thinking of her lost companion brought on a wave of painful nostalgia. Waking up to scratching licks on the cheek. Toad getting tangled in her shoestrings. 
Each pleasant memory twisted her chest into knots. It brought to her mind an image of a girl sobbing over the lifeless form of a dog. And then, unexpectedly, Nix remembered the look on Mrs. Wack's face after she came in from hurling the cats into the yard. Nix realized now that it was a look of utter defeat, the look of someone who'd made a terrible sacrifice. But now that Nix thought about it, the sacrifice didn't make a lot of sense. If Mrs. Wack believed she'd already contracted the disease, then the cats were no longer a threat to her. What was the point of getting rid of her beloved pets when they'd already done all the damage they could do? Hadn't they? The lump of frozen guilt exploded within her, sending shards ripping through her insides. How could Nix have been so stupid? Mrs. Wack hadn't gotten rid of the cats because she was mad or scared. She'd released them to protect the only person in the trailer who hadn't yet contracted the disease. Her daughter. Her lying, scheming daughter. The entire weight of what Nix had done came crashing down, spilling tears onto her cheeks. Mrs. Finkbone paused in the act of unlocking her classroom door. Dear, I'm sorry. I'm sure he'll turn up. Nick set the bags of clay on the ground. I better get to class. It was a silly thing to say, since they had a good ten minutes before the first growl, but Mrs. Finkbone seemed to understand. See you at rehearsal, the teacher called after her. Nick waved her hand in agreement, but didn't turn around. She knew she should go back and tell Mrs. Finkbone why she couldn't be there, why she would be taking the bus home, but that would involve speaking, and with tears and snot flowing down her face in clear fountains, Speaking wasn't on the immediate agenda. Chapter 62 Confession Nick hid out in a bathroom stall until she could breathe normally again. Just before the last growl sounded, announcing the start of first period, Nix emerged and evaluated herself in the mirror. Her face was still red, but at least her nose had stopped running. Maybe Jordan wouldn't notice. But Jordan wasn't in U.S. government. Tiago, however, waylaid her the moment she walked into class. What did you say to my parents? He asked with intense eyes. Have you been crying? Like a total dork, Nix grinned. So you are talking to me? Why do they hate you all of a sudden? Nix blinked. They said they hate me? They said our friendship is over, which of course is complete tosh. He was defying his parents' wishes? That almost made the whole demonica thing worth it. I don't think your parents want me to give you details. Tiago led Nix to their seats in the back. He was touching her elbow. I've never seen my parents like this. They're checking the door locks every few minutes. They hardly even answer the phone. And my mum, for some reason, is wearing a... Wig? Tiago's eyes went from deep and smoky to large and stunning. What is going on? Ms. Winkle greeted the class and wrote country presentations at the top of the chalkboard. Super. She hadn't thought about Chad since the night Tiago had brought her back from the dead. He continued to stare at her, waiting for an explanation. She ached to tell him everything, but was pretty sure that was a horrible idea. First of all, he'd know she'd had played him like a concert grand. Second, there was nothing to fix. Despite his parents' demands, Tiago didn't plan to avoid her. If she told him everything, it would likely change everything. And given Tiago's earlier misgivings about Satan versus the home team, Nick suspected his reaction would be more in line with his parents but she had to give him something. It's my foster father. He's kind of a mystic. He uses Ouija boards and tarot cards and stuff. I made the mistake of mentioning it to your mom the last time I was over. I also saw her yesterday in town and noticed the wig. Not sure what that's about, actually. 
Tiago blew out his breath so loudly Ms. Winkle paused in writing her list of students in their assigned countries. Mr. Padilla, are you ready with your Morocco presentation? You're up after Ms. Parker. Polly was already standing at the front of the class. Her eyes met Nix's and darted to the floor. She was probably worried Nix was going to bust her for cheating. Nix was starting to wish she'd barged into that conference room and grabbed the paper Polly had been scribbling on. I'm really not into that kind of stuff, Nix whispered to Tiago. But don't say anything to your parents. It's not worth it. You are worth it. Nix almost peed her pants. You should have heard Leo defending you, Tiago said. He told my... Santiago, close those lips or you'll go first and give your reports in English and Spanish. For the next 50 minutes, Nix smiled broadly and learned nothing about France, Mexico, Estonia, or Iceland. Though she did pick up quite a bit about Morocco. Even better, she'd finally made a concrete decision regarding Italy. When Jordan didn't appear for second or third period, Nix feared the worst. Had Eric somehow figured out who had stolen his notebook? Or maybe Abendroth and Obulus found him and were currently torturing him for information? Or could his body have been taken over by Achilles? As improbable as it was, she couldn't shake the image of her best friend laying in the woods somewhere, beaten and slowly bleeding to death, or possibly on a murderous rampage. At lunch, Nix was finalizing her plan to escape from campus and organize a search party. When Jordan walked into the cafeteria without so much as a bloodstain, Nix stuffed the three remaining nuggets into her mouth, dumped her tray, and met Jordan by the door. You know, she said with her mouth full, if you were gonna ditch, you might have taken me with you, Jordan grimaced carefully. Got my braces tightened, Nix swallowed. Guess you won't be eating then? Let me charm an applesauce out of the lunch ladies and we'll go somewhere to talk. Speaking of charming, I wrote your Punish the Cheater essay. You're welcome. He handed Nix a pair of typed pages. You are my hero. I totally forgot. I actually stopped by detention, ready to pretend you'd left it in my car. How did you get out of your lunch sentence? Nix grinned. McGuckin was doing an interview on the football field during fourth period. He was still out there a few minutes ago. The Ghost Hunters? What could they possibly still want to interview him about? Nix shrugged. Maybe it has to do with those interesting articles in the crier. He's probably taking full credit for recovering the mascot. Jordan put a hand on her shoulder. I was very impressed with Argus's latest email, he whispered. And I think my dad is in love with you. Nix made a horrified face, but Jordan only laughed and went to cut in line. He eventually returned with two chocolate milks and two straws, miffed at the apparent shortage of applesauce. He handed Nix a pint carton, and they returned to their usual spot behind the auditorium. The football field was empty. Hopefully McGuckin wasn't now searching the grounds for his missing prisoners. I'm not going to Italy. Jordan plopped onto the grass. Unsurprising, seeing as how you still haven't attempted to remove Tiago's number from your arm. Nix shot him a look, then scrubbed at the ink with her spit. So back to my dad, Jordan said. He's not really in love with you, per se, but Argus is all he talks about lately. He doesn't think I'm some criminal turning in my friends to get attention? Well, he didn't pay much attention at first. Animal control was dealing with the cats. But after you led them to the statue, he started taking you seriously. Friday night was the clincher. Now Argus is his best friend. Friday night? When Leo anonymously dropped Eric's notepad off in the station mailbox. Are you sure Leo and Tiago didn't know what it was? I wrapped it in paper towels and masking tape. 
Tiago has asked me about it a hundred times since then. So far, I haven't told him anything. Should we tell him you're Argus? Nix almost choked on her milk. His parents already hate my guts, and I'd have to explain how I knew about the Wolverine and the bald cats. Tiago's just starting to relax around me. Jordan sighed. We gotta think of something to tell him, because he'll ask me about it again at home ec, then probably several times at rehearsal. Nix finished her milk and slapped it flat on the concrete step. At least we know Mrs. Finkbone will be there to keep everyone busy. Did Mr. Cherry's Ouija board tell you that? Mrs. Finkbone did. Nix told him about their conversation in the parking lot and how the art teacher had finally turned the animals over to the shelter. Jordan shook his head. Woodscross definitely has a surplus of crazy cat ladies. He handed his empty milk container to Nix since he knew how much she enjoyed smashing them. Turned out he hadn't completely finished the milk. When Nix slapped it, she got sprayed. Total accident, he said. I'm sure. By the way, I won't be at rehearsal today. I'm going to find Mrs. Zerby and ask her where my mom is. The prodigal's daughter returns. I'm guessing you're not interested in living in a group home across the river? As if. I also wanted to make sure she's all right, and apologize for everything. Sunrisa can drop you off at the graveyard. Why don't you wait until after rehearsal? If I'm going back to live with my mom this weekend, I'll be under her control again. There's no guarantee she'll let me even do the musical. Jordan looked startled. Sarah will be safe, Nick said. She doesn't need me to hold her hand. Nix hated the idea of giving up the musical, but it was time she started thinking of someone besides herself. If she hadn't already, her mother would soon learn about her husband. She would need Nix more than ever. Besides, after the last few months, Nix seriously needed to simplify her life. The thought of having nothing to worry about but lectures and dieting advice made her giddy. Now over his shock, Jordan looked at her like she was crazy, which he did occasionally, but this time he seemed really concerned for her mental well-being. I'm sure Vivek can find you a foster home in town. Maybe you can be Nix Frost for a while. For some reason, that gave her the chills, but it was totally unrealistic. She squashed an earwig under her cheating essay, then looked at Jordan. It's time for me to go home. The musical will fall apart without you. Oh yeah, me and my two lines. Jordan didn't want to let the issue rest, but Nix refused to discuss it anymore. Her resolve was paper thin already. Reconciling with her mother was the right thing to do, even if Nix ended up going to the group home anyway. She caught the word idiot in Jordan's essay and thought she'd better look it over before turning it in. The police brought Eric in last night. Nix looked up from the pages. They arrested him? I think just questioning. My dad wouldn't say much. The only reason he mentioned it was because I had already told him Patterson was the one who lit Felix on fire. Speaking of which, Nix said, did your note say anything about Urbanek burning his own house down? Jordan pulled a spiral notebook out of his bag and handed it to Nix. I wanted to save that for our next editorial. I figured since we were publicly accused of starting the fire, we should be publicly cleared. Well, aren't you the productive little writer? Nix looked over Jordan's Argus letter. It gave her a thrill to realize how much power they had. With a single email, they could ruin someone's life. But why did they always have to be tearing people down? Couldn't they use their newly established credibility to spread good cheer or something? Amazing, as usual. Nix handed the notebook back. But maybe we can also spotlight a teacher who's underrecognized. Jordan made that I'm going to look at you like you're crazy until you explain yourself face. I just don't want people to think Argus is a pessimist or a stool pigeon. 
You know, why not help someone out instead of getting them in trouble? You want to help Mr. Urbanek out? No, we'll keep your part in, but I'll just add something in the beginning about Ms. Winkle or something. Jordan reluctantly relinquished the notebook again. Okay, but if this turns into some feel-good girly mush fest, I'll never forgive you. A growl echoed across the grounds. It's good to have Wendell back, huh? Nick said. Yeah, but that's too bad about the reward. As soon as you tell them where to send the check, your secret identity's revealed. Reward? You didn't see that in the article? The police had offered a $500 reward for information leading to the recovery of the high school mascot. But now they don't know who to give the money to. Nix leaned against the utility door for support. Do you have any idea what we could do with $500? Yeah, but I can't see us explaining how we got all the secret information. Without a believable story, they'd figure we were lying and somehow at fault. Besides, wasn't this whole thing to protect your mother from being labeled a cat thief? Nix whimpered, still trying to imagine what $500 would look like. Not to mention we'd probably get in big trouble for breaking into the old police email system, Jordan said. Nix rubbed at her eyelids. I suppose you're right, but it seems like such a shame to let the money go to waste. We could have them donate it to charity. Nix's eyes snapped to Jordan. Or what if we asked them to donate it to the high school drama department? Then Sarah could get her fish tanks. That would definitely raise morale among the cast. Jordan seemed genuinely excited. Nix felt excited herself until she remembered she probably wouldn't be attending the show, even as a spectator. As soon as Nix entered history, McGuckin appeared from behind the door and Frog marched her, not to detention, but to his own cramped office. The room was empty. Where were the two boys from Friday? McGuckin dismissed the secretary for the day. That wasn't a good sign. Then pushed Nix into a chair and took up his favorite spot in front of the door. Why did this feel familiar? Nix sat. He continued to stand there. Is this detention? Nix asked. Or are you going to suspend me? Still standing. Still watching her. Whatever, he could play his games. Nix wasn't going to play along. She leaned back in her chair and closed her eyes. McGuckin smacked his lips. Is the demon inside you right now? Nix opened her eyes. I'm sorry, what? You never could lie to me, whack. You don't have the IQ. Maybe it would be better to ignore him completely. What's his name? He asked. Or is it Lamia? Nix's throat seized up. McGuckin was possessed. He had to be. How else would he know about Lamia and the demons? She couldn't fight her way past him. She might be able to fit through the window into the courtyard, but she'd have to break the glass with a chair. She doubted she'd get very far before McGuckin strangled her. She slowly stood. I'd like to leave now. I'm feeling sick. McGuckin pulled a red-stained wooden rosary out of his pocket and thrust the crucifix toward her. You can't keep me in here, Nick said. Her voice cracked at the end, completely undermining her angry expression. McGuckin pushed back a lock of hair that had escaped his wispy pompadour. It's Obelus, isn't it? What did he say to you? What does he tell you to do? I don't know what you're talking about, Nick said. Let me out or I'll tell the police you molested me. McGuckin chuckled and took a long stride toward her. When Homeland Security gets here, you can tell them whatever you want. But first you'll tell me what's going on. Did he give you powers? Show me. Nix backed against the wall, then edged around the room until the desk was between them. I don't know where you... McGuckin sprang at her and pulled her into a headlock. Something hard pressed into her scalp. 
the crucifix? Nyx struggled and screamed, but the pressure on her crown only grew stronger. Come out of her, demon! McGuckin said in a voice she'd never heard him use before. He sounded subservient, almost pleading. Get off! Nick screamed. Get your hands off me or I'll bite your- Demon be gone! McGuckin tightened his arm around her head. Nix couldn't breathe. The cross punctured her skin. A trickling sensation crept across her scalp. Her vision blurred. If she didn't do something soon, McGuckin was going to render her unconscious. Or worse. Nick stopped her heart. The smell of McGuckin's body odor vanished, and abruptly Nyx looked down at herself, being throttled by a grown man with spider arms. As far as she could tell, he wasn't possessed by any evil spirits, unless he was already enmeshed. Nyx got right in his face and rumbled, Back off! Except it ended up being more of a scream of fury. The lights flickered. McGuckin's eyes went glassy, his expression vacant. He relaxed his grip, and Nyx's body slid to the floor. Then McGuckin screamed and covered his head with both hands. He fell back against the wall, hid his temple on the filing cabinet, and crumpled to the floor on top of Nyx. Before Nyx could do much more than groan inwardly, a tall, dark-haired man walked through the doorway. The thing that disturbed Nyx was that the door was closed at the time. The man looked part Latino or maybe East Indian. He was attractive despite a thick unibrow and soulless black eyes. He wore a suit the color of dried blood. Nix knew she was looking at either Achilles or one of Lamia's demon buddies. The spirit smiled at Nix, then his gaze went to the empty 15-year-old girl trapped under the vice principal. As if. Nix entered her body so quickly she was actually confused when pain stabbed her from all sides. At least she'd made it. She was alive again, and as far as she could tell, no one was in there with her. Get off me! Nix grumbled. The door opened. A pair of shiny leather shoes stepped into the office. Everything okay in here? Nix recognized the voice. Principal Weatherwax, Mr. McGuckin hit his head and fell on top of me. Hopefully he was in critical condition. Weatherwax shuffled toward the pile of limbs on the carpet. Nix waved a hand. If you could just kind of pull him to the side. This was mortifying. She was so weak she needed a 90-year-old man to help her up. For several minutes, Weatherwax tried his darndest, bless his heart, but eventually only succeeded in falling on top of both of them. Then he rolled off and stopped breathing. Mr. Weatherwax? Nix called. Clyde, are you okay? The old man's eyes stared into nothing. Somebody help! Nix screamed as loud as she could. She strained to push McGuckin off her, but he was too heavy, and she was still too weak. She should have kept a piece of jerky in her pocket. Someone call an ambulance, she shouted. Surely someone in the hallway must have heard her. Weatherwax's face twitched, then his shoulders snapped back. His eyes opened and he gasped like he'd broken the surface of a pool. Then Weatherwax's head turned slowly to face Nick's. He smiled. Oh, crap.